0: This episode of Upstream Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm your host for Upstream Perspective, Jessica Nelson. On today's episode, I'm joined by Reed Olmstead from our North America Plays and Basins team and David Vaucher, one of our onshore services and materials experts to reflect on 2018 and understand what they're looking at for 2019. Guys, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: So 2018 was quite an interesting year for the oil and gas sector. Uh, this year, the US claimed the title of world's top oil producer in part to the boom we continue to see in the Permian. And now as 2018 comes to a close, North America oil production continues to grow aggressively. Gas prices finding new support and there appears to be plenty of capacity in North America oil field services. So Reed, start us off. Looking forward to 2019, do you expect our attention to continue to be focused on oil supply and more specifically, activity in the Permian Basin?
2: Yeah, I think that really in, in 19, it's going to continue to be a story of the Permian Basin. We've seen over the last couple of years the Bakken and the Eagleford turn into uh, harvest plays almost, where, where activity levels are pretty stagnant, the production stays relatively flat, um, and operators are leveraging those as, as uh, cash-producing assets. So the growth is really in the Permian Basin. Now, it's interesting how the dynamics there work. We've seen some constraints. We've seen some really uh, interesting ways of dealing with the constraints. One of the ones that we've noticed is drag reducing agents in the pipelines to where some of these pipelines out there are actually operating above nameplate capacity. Uh, We're starting to see some other constraints that that will play in. Um, But this year, like you said, it's been huge. We're looking at nearly 2 million barrels a day of growth uh, and probably in 2019, we're gonna look at about 1.2. But the dynamics of how that comes into play is a little bit, uh, it shifted a bit because we've seen um, operators, really not looking at the Permian Basin to complete wells, certainly not in the first half, like we were originally expecting. Uh, we've got this thing, David, you can probably address this better than me, the frack holiday we've been seeing out in the Permian Basin, which is really impacting how we see volumes coming to market in 19 and into 20. Do you have? Could you talk us
1: through that a little bit? I know. Thanks, Reed. So I guess frack holiday, the term's a little bit misleading because it implies that uh, it's, it's been entirely up to the – companies to sort of take themselves out of the market, but really, what we've been seeing is that for the past you know couple quarters, there's certainly been some some softening in the Permian, which is really what's driving the uh, the activity. I mean, what we're seeing just in the last couple weeks is, is nothing new. Anytime there's an upcycle, uh, there tends to be an overshot of capacity coming online, and uh, you know when you have an upstream kind of oversupply and then a downstream bottleneck, that just creates uh, excess. Uh, pumping horsepower in the market, and so the frac holiday is. People are sort of waiting to see what comes up in 2019 with the um, with the the pipelines opening up. But there's certainly been a lot of activity, sort of, that's been taken away from individual uh, service companies because of this um, this oversupply. So, in terms of sort of how this plays out, really, just to kind of start off on the insights for 2019, I think. I know that you've been through a refresh of your kind of assumptions given what's happened recently, and so hopefully you can share that with the listeners. But I think the key question for us on the horsepower side is how do service companies play this? I mean, they can either try and be aggressive and capture as much of these ducks coming online as possible, uh, but then they, risk, they run the risk of overcommitting themselves or they can perhaps pull back and then they risk losing uh, some potential upside there. So really, strategically, how how service companies balance the oversupply with how they wanna commit themselves, uh, that's one of the key things that we're gonna be looking at in 2019.
0: Great, Um, and, and so you talked a little bit about the frack holiday. Um, and I know some news recently has talked a little bit about some of the sand mine closures. I assume all of this is putting more downward pressure on oil field services, which I think you've told us before is already experienced lower demand for services this year. How will this impact the oil field services sector?
1: So, I mean, I think the, the I don't want to call it irony. I don't think that's the right word, but if you look at, uh, the research that we do, which is for the actual commodities and services themselves, so pumping and profit in this particular case, there is a lot of supply out there. I mean, sand mines, as you said, there's closures because there is so much um, there is so much supply already pumping. We know that there's um, oversupply there. So the actual bottlenecks really are on getting those services and supplies to the wellhead on time. So that would be what they call last mile trucking solutions for profit. Um, And then just simply roads. I mean, you know, when, when Reed and his group come up with estimates uh, for how much pipeline capacity is coming online and we come up with estimates for, okay, how much horsepower is actually available um, to, to actually frack these wells to then fill those pipelines. I, I think the thing that gets missed because it's very hard to quantify is that there's an operational um, operational and an infrastructure risk there. In other words, you can have enough horsepower, or let's, let's say you need 10 crews, right? But if you only have enough roads to get five crews to wellheads, effectively, you've got 50% utilization there, and, and you're going to miss your production target, right? So I think the, the issue is that we're going to see in 2019 going ahead is likely continued pressure, Um, on the North American market, certainly in the first half of the year, I think some of that pricing power will come back uh, to to pumping companies if, in fact, there is this surge in demand from the the ducks. But there is also going to be uh, continued sort of infrastructure risk in terms of uh, labor, uh, infrastructure, roads, and then power, uh, things like that. So it's it's very necessary to separate the commodities themselves from all the other supporting uh, foundation that it takes to get those commodities to the the well site.
0: Great. I think that's a good distinction because we heard a lot about those supply constraints, and and I remember you talking a little about it may feel that way, but the problem is downstream. More so, um, are downstream logistics now causing oversupply of services such as sand, like you've mentioned?
1: No. So, so as a matter of fact, so we ran a, a survey recently amongst a group of um, representatives working in the the profit industry. So uh, these were people that worked in financial institutions, uh, you know, profit suppliers, operators. So really kind of caught the gamut of, of people in this in this field. And the, the impression was that when you looked at people's views of pricing data and people's views of last mile logistics, is that the, the cost of of if we're talking profit specifically, the cost there is not the um, the commodity itself, it's just the cost of, of shipping it. So if we look at it, and this is not something that we track as in depth, but if you look at twenty nineteen, you know, the infrastructure around the Permian and around the, the city of Midland can only grow so fast, uh, whereas it's relatively easier to bring in or to start, you know, mining another load of sand from somewhere. And so because of this disconnect between the speed at which all the infrastructure around the prop in can, can grow versus just the quantity of prop itself, itself, uh, that we presume will continue to present uh, pressures going into 2019 and, and, and beyond. I mean, if you look at Um, the research that that I've been doing at IHS market um, over the years, one thing that never ever really goes away is the the logistics component and it's transportation, but it's also uh, labor, it's power. That always seems to be a a chronic issue because it is much easier, relatively speaking, to bring on another sand mine uh, or bring on another pumping crew uh, than it is to build out the power grid or improve the roadways or things like that. So going ahead, just based on past experience, uh, we would think that there'll continue to be pressure on the services sector price-wise, but also just on everything else that allows them to do their jobs and, and get their their goods and services to the well site.
0: Great. And anything, any catalysts that we should be watching that um, might give us some indications on, on where the market's going?
1: Sure. So, I mean, one thing that's that's hard to quantify, but if you want really ear-to-the-ground information, you know. so you and I have talked before, and and I've said that from the vantage point of someone in Midland, yeah, it looks like things are very busy, but you might kind of miss the forest for the trees and say, okay, it's busy, but there's also another 10 frat crews out stacked in the yard. So, in my view, I think a great indicator of how things are going is if you can talk to salespeople in the frat companies. Uh, if, if you ask them, hey, you know, are you looking for business or is business coming to you? Uh, if you're looking for business, that typically tends to mean things are down. If you start hearing, man, the phone's ringing, I'm having trouble keeping up with the inquiries, that tends to be a very leading indicator of how things are going. And then obviously we track things like utilization. Um, that's Utilization and pricing kind of go hand in hand. But the question I always like to ask is, okay, if I called you with an inquiry about equipment, would you have it today? Uh, I think that speaks a lot about um, capacity in the service sector market in terms of an on-the-ground indicator.
0: Great. And I know we often talk about oil and gas, but Reid, last time you were on the pod, you described industry operators more as oil or gas. Um, And and we know gas prices have found some strength as oil prices collapsed in the fourth quarter. So do you expect this change um, to impact investment focus next year, or will oil continue to drive activity?
2: Well, I think oil will continue to drive activity, but but we've definitely had to take a a different look at things. This industry has changed so much in the last few years where right now the risk is not below ground. Uh, The risk is in execution as as David was mentioning, and it's, it's largely about price. Um, Right now production is so sensitive to oil price. Um, It's just uh, unbelievable. We've, We've run some numbers and we'll be talking about that in some of our upcoming research, but, uh, we're still going to see the industry driven by oil. And we're still going to see a lot of production growth next year, but it's, it's because of this windfall of Permian DUCs. Um, we're, we're actually toning down our outlook for uh, the Eagleford and the Bakken a little bit next year. You know, when we were talking in October, we were looking at, you know, a $70 oil price. And, and now we're languishing in the, in the 50s, tipping into the 40s even. So uh, the industry has changed or the outlook for next year has changed a good bit, um, simply due to that. I think we're still going to see a lot of a lot of uh, gas activity. Um, I think price is going to come down. Our outlook for next year is kind of a 250 to 270 price uh, in the third, or in the uh, second through fourth quarter. Um, there's a massive amount of gas in the in the uh, in the rocks out there, and it when you look at the resource base it's tough to tough to get a long-term price over 350 we've enjoyed a little bit of a rally here and it's it's caught some of us off guard uh low storage numbers uh, uh, have helped a lot um but i think that next year still driving activity driving investment driving
1: uh spending is going to be the the liquid side of the system so reed i guess if i could jessica you might so if so reed if i could kind of get your insights on something so you know, it's interesting because the oil price, obviously there's some macro issues playing into that, uh, but then also OPEC comes up, right? And people talk about OPEC as a swing producer and the U.S. as a swing producer, but the structure is very different. So the U.S. is very disparate. Um, I guess at what point, you know, oil price obviously comes up when supply comes off the market, um, assuming demand stays flat. So at uh, what point, I mean, every operator has an incentive to produce up until the point where they're not making money on it anymore. Right. And so what's the dynamic that gets the U S as a group, um, sort of stop producing, right. To the extent that it is kind of a free market. I mean, what are the dynamics there?
2: Well, so it's interesting. Uh, I was talking with some friends that then the price collapsed and they all said, Oh, so everybody's just going to start running half the rigs. And I said, no, 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 this is a race to the bottom. Or actually it's a, it's a holdout to see who else is going to hit the bottom first because I'm going to run my drilling plan until I can't make money. And I'm going to hope I can drill one more well, that, that I, I've got one more well to drill before the guy next to me goes out of business. Um, so so we're going to see, you know, for every operator it's different. I used to have a friend who said there is no consortium of Bakken operators I can go to and, and hear their plans like at OPEC. But I'll tell you the, a couple things to help kind of set the stage of, or or to address some of the points you brought up. First, is OPEC said, they were going to cut by about 1.2 million barrels a day, I believe. That's what we're looking at growth for next year out of the U.S. So call that a wash. Um, We've still got demand growth of somewhere between 1.2 and 1.4 next year. Uh, 1.2 or 1.4 million barrels a day, I believe, is our latest look. Um, So we're still going to get growth, but the U.S. is going to largely replace what OPEC has recently agreed to cut. Um, The other thing is about growth. We're seeing Obviously, growth, but it's economic and it's moderated growth. It's not, it's not just this frenzy like it was uh, up until you know uh, Thanksgiving of 2014. It's it's growth at a price. Um, so so it's growth at running a flat cap capex to cash flow or operating cash flow relationship. So next year we're looking at pretty much operators living within cash flow. We've raised our our outlook for spending. Um, a little bit. Uh, from I think we're raising spending about 6% uh, for total CapEx. We'll be looking at about $106 billion in upstream spend next year for DNC. Uh, but it's all premised on living within cash flow at sort of a $58 to $60 price next year. Um, that's what's really governing supply right now is, is oil price and access to capital.
1: Yeah, I think I would I would agree with that on the on the service side. You know when you said it's kind of what it it's a race to the bottom. Um, everyone likes to say that each up and down of the oil market is is different from the last time. I think if you kind of get down to the ground in terms of technologies employed or in the case of more, you know, higher level field development, you know, maybe different methodologies, more efficiencies, that type of thing. It's different, but at the same time, uh, it's always going to be a story of supply and demand. And uh, I think that, and this is something that we've seen announced from some of the bigger frat companies, is that uh, they they will, if they can afford it, take the hit on price in order to to keep market share. They'd rather keep their crews going than have to to stack, right? And so I think that um, even though you might see some some detailed aspects play out differently, like you said, at the end of the day, it's can I keep my rigs running, or I'm sorry, can I keep my equipment running more generally uh, while making money, and can I outlast the guy next to me? And that's capitalism. That's absolutely right.
0: So, uh, Reed, earlier you mentioned ducks, and, and David, I think you talked a little bit about it too, just so that uh, we'll level set up with our listeners. Uh, ducks drilled but uncompleted. So, uh, And you mentioned that that was a little bit unforeseen for the Permian uh, on what's happening with the ducks out there. Do you want to expand on that a little bit more?
2: Yeah. So what, we, what we've what we seen is uh, well, a continued rise, a, a continued build in DUCs out there. Um, and, and the question is, when are those going to start to get converted? And you know, when you talk with producers, when you talk with operators, when you talk with service companies, as David mentioned, you know, you can you can go pick up a Permian crew uh, pretty easily if you want to book them in March. But it gets – those service companies are getting pretty booked up uh, starting kind of summer and uh, starting to ramp up uh, bookings in the summer in anticipation of this, uh, this pipeline that's going to come on. We're going to see several pipelines come into service between – fourth quarter of 19 and first quarter of 2020 uh which is going to you know push a lot of volumes out of the base and a lot of volumes that operators have spent capital uh for drilling but have not been able to complete and produce yet so we're looking at that coming on stream and a, a pretty quick work down of those we should be done you know with excess dcs there's always work in progress or you know wells that are just you know they've been drilled but not completed not because of a strategic or a pricing issue just a logistics issue uh, so so we're looking at working down the excess DUCs uh, so probably early 2020 late 19 early 20 at which point we go back into a much more moderated growth this is kind of a windfall of volumes coming out of the ground uh, after that two things happen one you've accelerated, accelerated your base decline uh, which is the rate at which the cumulative production starts to decline. Well, you bring, a, you bring a whole bunch of wells on stream that are on the steep part of the decline curve, you're going to raise the average decline of the basin significantly. So we're going to see, one, uh, a lot more capital have to go just to keeping production flat, uh, and two, we don't have this, you know, wall of volumes sitting, sitting ready to go. So after we get all these DUCs converted, brought on stream, uh, we're going to see a little bit slower growth out of the Permian Basin uh, going into 2020. Um, But it's still a very impressive system. I think it's going, if it were a country, it would be about the fifth largest country uh, for oil production in the world uh, once we get through uh, 2019 and into 2020. So it's just been unprecedented growth that
1: that nowhere else in the country can really match. So Reed, I guess I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. So you know, we've been talking about Uh, really implicit in all of what we're saying is marginal cost to marginal benefit, right? Can I extract for less than it's cost me to put on the market? So currently Mm -hmm. what's what's prevented moral production has been a bottleneck kind of upstream. Uh, So it's a physical constraint, right? I mean, we've been talking about lowering oil prices. Is there any scenario under which, uh, you know, we hit second half of 2019 and all of a sudden it's not economical anymore to actually produce these ducks? Or or do you think that – realistic scenarios would dictate that pipeline capacity opens up and the ducts come online at that point?
2: I mean, unless there's something that's going to happen physically to the pipe uh, in West Texas, I, I don't see that happening. The DUCs are the, are the most economic option in an operator's portfolio, so those are going to happen. The issue is, you know, if price goes – if you construct a scenario where price really tanks, uh, will we see continued drilling activity? I think we will, to some extent, operators are continuing to hedge. You never want to, you never want to shutter your business if you've got uh, enough money to drill one more well. Um, so, so even in a even in a pretty distressed price environment, we're going to see the DUCs get converted. Uh, what happens after that uh, in a distressed price environment would be, you know, we we'd we'd do that analysis at the time. Uh, but I think. Pr- pretty well locked in, we're going to see those DUCs get converted. In our look, the U.S. continues to grow uh, at a $50 price next year, um, largely due to the DUCs, but even just the economic opportunities out there. You know, the Eagleford's average break-even is right around $50 uh, for new activity. Um, So, and the Bakken's a little bit north of that, but it's still, you know, the system has evolved uh, and responded to, to these external pushes. Um, pretty pretty remarkably. And so I think that even at $50, we'll start to see some good growth. Uh, not as much as, uh, as we were, as, as, as we're looking, you know, at kind of a $60 world. Uh, but let's just say, you know, we're looking at 1.2 on a base case of a $58 to $60 world next year. We're looking at about 600000 if if we just go with a flat $50. But the affected plays, are the Eagleford Bakken Wattenberg the Permian we assume continues to go
0: great so let's um let's turn the page a little bit here and, and talk a little bit about uh, some of the corporate consolidation um, we've seen in 2018 broadly but also a little bit um, I know just in Q4 we saw a few more uh, corporate takeovers so broadly speaking um, I'd like to hear what you both have to say do you, do you expect that trend of consolidation to continue into 2019
2: I think you've got to look at what's happened with with them in 2018. I mean, there there have been you know real, real short but intense periods of of activity. And what we've really seen is is uh, the stock prices of these of these companies isn't moving a whole lot. And and the reason why is there's not a lot of upside left. It, it, these plays are de-risked. Like I mentioned, the risk is not the rock. The risk is execution. And so what a lot of these Companies are doing is they're trying to find uh, scale. They're trying to extend their drilling inventory. They're trying to uh, be able to compete with some of the larger operators uh, in the play. But it's not doing much for the share price. So, you know, we we aren't going to place bets on who's going to get bought, who's going to who's going to do the buying. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if it continues. There are probably some. I think there are still some good assets out there uh, that are on the market. There are some good management teams that are that are still looking and still drilling, and some that are still looking to to be acquired. So I think it'll still continue, but <clears throat> what's driving it is not necessarily upside in stock price. What's driving it is uh, trying to um, extend drilling inventories, deepen drilling inventories, um, and and come up with a way to compete against some of the
1: larger. Uh, operators in the Permian Basin. Yeah. And I think on, on the service side, I, I would agree with that. And the, the interesting thing about acquisitions and consolidations is that they can happen both during up and down cycles for different reasons, right? So like in an up cycle, uh, perhaps you're trying to buy market share. You're trying to take a competitor out of the market. Uh, in a down cycle, you might just be trying to chase chase efficiencies, right? Uh, or if you're feeling brave, you've got some capital, you think things are going to change, and um, you kind of invest for a turnaround, right? So to the extent that as we've sort of been underlining over the course of this conversation, it's different every time, but it's not really different. You're always gonna have those market forces in play. And so as Reed said, you know, we don't, we don't feel the need to kind of take bets on who's gonna specifically go after anyone else. Um, I guess my general point of view is that uh, to the extent that we do work in a, a market environment, uh, as long as those competitive pressures are there as long as those oil price pressures are there I think uh, the motivations continue to be there for uh, potential further consolidation going forward
0: and as we kind of talked about earlier um, there's been a degree of negative headlines in the last part of 2018 here, as as we've seen oil prices collapse a little bit what are you guys going to be watching in terms of, of signals for optimism in 2019 is it new plays new technologies or something else
2: on the production side, you know, I think we're starting to see a, a mar- diminishing marginal gains in productivity. I think that we're getting to a point in the system where everything is matured. If you go back to 2008, we had the Bakken kind of ramping up, and and as that was starting to to hit a, a plateau in productivity, we had the Eagle Ford starting to come come to uh, materiality, and, and as that started to come into um, okay, what's the new kid on the block? What's the new kid? What, what are we doing next? We saw the Permian boom. Um, we saw price collapse. And now the question is, okay, what, what's the big next play? Uh, we, we have the stack, and the stack is a is a solid producer, but it's not ever going to hit the materiality, the volumes that, that the Eagleford and the Bakken do. And there's been a lot of talk about the Powder River Basin. Um, but again, it, geographically, the size of the resource simply isn't, uh, it's just not not as big as some of these, some of the plays that we've seen. So, um, we we've started to hit diminishing marginal improvements on productivity within these plays, within the the plays that have been delineated. We're, we haven't seen a new play like the Eagleford of the Bakken, uh, we haven't seen anything start to show that type of prominence. So, I think that this is going to be a year of, of really looking for efficiencies. And uh, logistics effic- efficiencies in service sector man- uh, supply chain management, um, and and working the above ground um, more than the below ground in terms of trying to maintain that capital efficiency that that operators have have, uh, have developed over the last
1: several years. I would a- I would absolutely agree with that I think you know re correct me if I'm wrong but I think 2019 is kind of remarkable in the level of dynamism that could happen right I mean it seems like. Mm-hmm obviously not overnight, but it seems like from kind of one month to another, you could go from really slow to totally ramped up. And so again, as I said at the beginning, I I think to me, how, how the service companies handle that um, is going to be really just really crucial. I think the the question as a whole brings up the idea of perception. I mean, I think so much of what happens in business generally, generally, but certainly in the oil field is like, how are people feeling and how how does that change over time? Because there was a time a few years back when $60 would have been fantastic. A few years before that, $60 would have been the pits. And here we are now saying $50 oil. You know, that's that's the negative thing, right? So I, I think it's it's hard, um, it's hard to separate what people are feeling currently with how they adapt going forward because the industry has adapted every single time, right? And so I guess the the, the important thing is going to be to see, okay, how long do prices stay where they are? If they do, how does that affect people's optimism? Um, but at the same time, I, I agree with Reed. I think this year is, is really remarkable in terms of what's coming online in a, rel- in a relatively short amount of time. And so those companies that have best prepared before to optimize their efficiencies, to hire the best crews, to uh, work out the logistics the best, they're going to be the ones who are going to come out of this uh, the strongest once oil price does, uh, does rebound or activity does rebound going forward.
0: So I want to put you both on the spot a, a quick minute here. So <laughs> – as we close out the podcast here, give me an example of a headline we might see in 2019. Reid, do you want to go first?
2: You are putting me on the spot here, Justin. <laughs> um, I mean, look, like I say, it's all in the it's all in the uh, execution. Uh, there's a lot of price risk. That's geopolitical, but I, I could see a headline of um, you know first 40 well pad drilled. Um, maybe maybe uh, you know. A second propaganda that breaks through um on on a completion completion side um i could see i, I expect that we will continue to see drill days come down um and i i expect to see lateral links continue to to increase so i think that those are the types of headlines we'll see um in 2018 or 2019 sorry i think that we're going to going back to efficiency this concept of trying take what you have and squeeze it harder we're going to see bigger pads and we're going to see headlines about that we're going to see headlines about uh just pushing that next marginal foot the next marginal pound of sand the next marginal anything but it's extending it beyond what we think is is currently possible that's where i see headlines coming
1: i would i would agree i think jessica this is a dangerous question because i think there's many people that <laughs> have gotten burned burn making predictions on the oil the oil uh, industry but I think just on Reed's point, if I kind of had to come up with a likely headline uh, for 2019, it might be something like oil industry surprises itself again or oil industry outdoes itself again, right? And it's to Reed's point about just continually pushing the envelope forward, because I feel like in the in the conversation has been, and in the industry generally, there's been an undercurrent of pessimism recently, right? But the the industry always seems to go above that and exceed its expectations, basically. So, uh I, I think even though we're sort of sitting here in December thinking, oh, you know, when's the slowdown happening? We might be sitting here again in a year's time and saying, wow, things look pretty bad and uh, look look what happened, right? So that would be my headline is oil industry outdoes itself again in 2019.
0: Well, we won't hold you to those and, and unless they come true. So <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, guys, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I appreciate your time and, and a great conversation on, on looking back at 2018 and where we're headed for 2019. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Jessica. Thank y'all.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from Reed, David, or any of our experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn.
2: This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's I-H-S-M-A-R-K-I-T dot com forward slash
0: energy.